Thank you, Children's Choir. Thank you, those uh, leaders who work with them. We look forward to seeing more of that, hearing more of that on Sunday to come. So praise God for, for that message. Our scripture reading today will be found in Mark, Mark chapter 8. Ask you to turn there in your Bibles. If you need a Bible today, raise your hand and ushers will bring one to you. Mark chapter 8 this morning. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Seven sessions or sections that we will look at in this chapter. The first is Jesus feeds the 4,000. The Pharisees demand a sign. Jesus warns about the leaven of the Pharisees in Herod. Jesus heals a blind man. Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. And Jesus foretells his death, his resurrection, and Jesus teaches about being ashamed of him. Look for those sections then as we read, as you follow along as I read aloud. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethesda, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not, in, do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. 
And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him, took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And he called the crowd to him with his disciples and said to them, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. May God give us understanding in the section of scripture that we read today and we'll be preaching through. Let's take time out now to, to spend in prayer. If, if you would, you remain standing, bow with me in a time of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for allowing us to come to meet together today, allowing us to worship and to praise, to hear the teaching of your word in Sunday school, to come and to hear your word given today in this message. We thank you for the offering and that which is received there. Those who give, especially give from their hearts. And we pray that you would bless the teaching of your word that it might impact our lives in right ways. It will bring glory to you. Open our eyes to get and to understand what your word says. Minister to your people here, Lord. Continue this work and let your Holy Spirit have his way in our lives. May we submit ourselves to him, walking in obedience to you, listening to him, and hearing what he has to say, and structuring and ordering our lives according to your will and according to your word. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I've entitled today's message, Do You Get It? <laughs> Do you get it? Jesus feeds the 4,000. Do you get it? The Pharisees demand a sign. Why don't they get it? Jesus warns about the leaven of the Pharisees. Jesus heals a blind man. Peter confesses Jesus as Christ. He gets it. But then Jesus foretells of his death and his resurrection, and then he teaches about being ashamed of him. We've seen the first miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and we see him do it again here. And so there is some repetition there, some things that he does again. But it's no less a miracle of what he does. And we need to take note of this miracle. And I'll ask you to consider a few questions to help us look at this miracle. Why does Jesus want to feed the great crowd. In verse 2 and 3, it tells us that he, he sees this crowd. He sees that they had nothing to eat. 
He says in verse 2, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them on their way, he says, if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. So Jesus sees their need and he has compassion on their need. But why does he feed the great crowd? He sees, he, he sees their need. He has compassion. He uses their physical need and his willingness and his ability to meet it to show their greater spiritual need and his willingness and his ability to meet that. You need to ask that question, why does he feed the crowd? Because you know tomorrow, if they like me, they're going to get hungry again, right? I mean, it's just how we are. So why even meet that temporary need? Because it's a real need. He's, he is in tune with the need of his people, of God's creation. He meets their needs. You can trust God. You can trust Jesus that he has compassion and he wants to meet the need. So he's willing and he has the power and he's able to meet the need. Another question. Why does Jesus present this need to the disciples? I mean, he turns to the disciples. He says, hey, guys, I really don't want to send these people away. They've been with me all day, and they're hungry. And he kind of leaves it there. And, you know, the disciples' response is like, who can feed all these folks? Why does he present that? Why does he kind of lay that burden on them like that? Well, <laughs> he also asked the disciples, well, what do you got? When, when they say, well, how are we going to feed all these people? In verse 5, he asked them, how many loaves do you have? Why does he ask them that question? He wants them to see the great need. And in fact, he in, in essence wants them to be overburdened with this need. Why does God want us overburdened? He said, God, God wants me to have stress. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He wants you to feel the weight of what it would be like to try to do what only he can do. Now, he doesn't want you to stay under that weight, but he wants you to know that you can't do it. That's why he lays that on the disciples. It's like, he, he, can you imagine somebody with a weight and a bar, and he is allowing them to get a little feel for the, whoa, right? He's not going to let it crush them, but he wants them to get a little sense of that. Why? So that they can realize their inadequacy. God never meant for them in their own strength and power to come up with that. But he's presented it to them so they might realize how great a need it is and how great an effort is required to meet that need. And he wants them to realize they can't do it. So he asked the question, what y'all got? They're going to be like, we ain't got near enough for all those folks. And he's saying, amen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You ever had that happen in your life? You go, look at all these bills. Or you go, Lord, can't nobody heal all of this. Or you go, Lord, this relationship, could nobody put it back together. He wants you to realize the weight of that and that you can't do it. Not to realize the weight and then, you know, you go and you figure out and you, you make a way to make it happen because it ain't going to happen. He wants you to realize that. And so he goes on. The next question is, why does Jesus take the seven loaves that the disciples has, 
have and, 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 and works his miracle through that. In other words, Jesus, he didn't have to ask them for nothing. He could just say, stand aside and uh, let me handle this. And he could have just made the food appear. But he took the seven loaves that they had, and it says he did something with it. You know what he did, right? He blessed it. And then what did he do? He gave it to the people, right? Nope. 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 He blessed it and gave it to who? The disciples. And he gave it to the disciples to do what? To give to the people. What's happening here? What is he communicating? One is that only he can meet that need. But look at how he meets the need. He takes the little, uh, little bit that the disciples have, their inadequate supply, or you put it this way, their inadequate resources, and he uses that to meet the need that only he can do. Well, what's our lesson? God takes your little bit, your inadequate resources that are given to him. He blesses it gives it back to you to give, to give, to share, to meet the need. Jesus wants us to know that we can't do it. He also wants us to know that he will take what, this is how he makes it happen. We give our little bit to him, and he blesses it and uses it to meet the need. That's how Jesus works. He's still working this that way. That would have been a great message for our anniversary service, wouldn't it? Last week. That's how God has been doing in this work, in this ministry, not just this week communion, but all over. He takes the little bit that, that's been given to him. Now, you don't give it to him. It ain't a part of giving out. Notice how he uses the disciples to distribute it and to bless. God blesses through his people. His people, I, I want to say to you, come and be a part of what God is doing. Jesus could have just given it out all by himself. Disciples, I don't need y'all. Move aside. But he blessed. He gave it to them. He wanted them to be part of the giving. Now, today, folks don't want to trust God. You know what? They want to trust the government. Everybody waiting on that stimulus check. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's like, praise Uncle Sam for our stimulus check. I know you're saying praise God, but what you really mean is praise Uncle Sam. Oh, how great it is that our government has given us. You know, the government wants to take God's people out of the picture. They want people dependent on them because they like feeling like that. That's not God's way. God is going to bless, he's going to use, and he's going to distribute through his people. You know why people don't want it distributed through God's people? Because they don't want to have nothing to do with the church. They want, look, if I need something to eat, I'll go down to the mission, but I don't want to hear the message. Just give me what I want, and I'll go home. Or if you got a place for me to stay, I'll stay, but I don't want to stay for chapel. We just had chapel last week. I love this. Brother Dale, you know how he is. He's very energetic, and he wants people to be involved. And as he was leading the prayer time, he asked everybody to stand. Some people didn't want to stand. And there was one gentleman there, and I, I, you know, I started to go up there and smack him upside the head. But I said, Lord, no, your spirit is restraining me. He didn't want to get up. And he sat down with his head bowed down. I said, well, man, you know, maybe something wrong with him. But I said, no, no, wait a minute. He came in here. He walked in here. He was standing before. How come he ain't standing now? He didn't want to stand. Through the whole time he sat, Brian spoke. And after the message closed, guess who the first person to get up? And walked out. I was surprised. Like, he walked out on his own power. Wow. He had the power to stand. He refused to stand. But that's the attitude. 
in our hearts today. I don't want it coming from God. I'd rather it come where, where nobody expects anything of me and I can do as I please. I have no obligation to God. Don't, don't, don't uh, uh, hit me with that stuff. Don't give me no, 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 no mental burden of, of, of guilt that I have to do something. I have to walk in obedience to God. God created all things. Jesus giving food to eat is just simply showing that he is the creator. Everything is in his power and is his to give and he blesses. And he distributed through his disciples to those who were gathered there. Jesus did this. And the question is, do you get it? Do you really get it? Well, the next section, the Pharisees show they don't get it at all. What happens? The next section, verses 11 through 13, the Pharisees demand a sign. What does it mean to demand a sign? It says they demanded a sign from heaven. Jesus, do something to show us you are, you have authority from heaven. Like, what? I mean, we would say, have you read the news? You ain't, your internet ain't working? Nobody told you what's been going on these last uh, so many months that I've been, everywhere I've gone, there's been signs of who I am. Those who are deaf now speak. Those who are blind now see. The hungry just got fed, 4,000 of them. The storms obey my voice. The demons stop and are afraid of me and listen to what I have to say, Jesus would have said. Every, what, what sign did you not get? They demanded a sign. You notice Jesus' response? If you ain't convinced by what I already showed you, I ain't showing you nothing else. But that's what happens in hearts today. People keep denying and refusing to see what God has done and who Jesus is by what he has done. All you got to do is look at what Jesus did and you would know who he is if you had any sense. The fact is, I'm not just trying to insult people. We don't have spiritual sense. God has to do that. God has to do something in our hearts to allow us to see and perceive Jesus. We're coming up on a resurrection Sunday. You know there's been no one in all of history, not a single individual who ever said, look, I'm going to die this way, and then I'm going to rise again, and then did it. I, maybe I missed somebody. You know somebody like that? Anybody. Any greatest leader, any great religious uh, founder, anybody, nobody. We sing a song, there's nobody like Jesus. The evidence is there. This is not a made-up story. This is fact. Anybody with eyes could see it, and all see it do not believe. Do not believe in him. So the Pharisees demanded a sign. Signs were all over the place. Everywhere Jesus went, there was a sign to say who he was. And they had the audacity to demand something else. Jesus says, if you don't get it, you won't. Do you get it? Do you understand so Jesus warns about the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And we understand leaven was used in baking bread. You don't even need to get into all the details of that, but you understand that. And so he warns his disciples, now beware. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They start thinking, uh-oh, we forgot to bring bread. 
And Jesus heard them talking. He says, why do you discuss this way? Why are you talking about the fact that you forgot to bring enough bread? Look what he says there. Verse 17, do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Have, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? Jesus is rehearsing with his disciples. Do you get it? Do you get it? You're talking about, you think I'm upset with you because you forgot to bring some bread? And then he reminds them. Look at what he reminds them. Verse 18, verse 19. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And what's their answer? All right. Twelve. Verse 20, and the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you take up? And what did they say? Seven. Now, <laughs> you would think with all those numbers, you're going to get a math quiz, right? <laughs> See, my mind would have been working, wait a minute, 5,000, all right, 12 baskets, 4,000, um, seven, um, what's the answer? <laughs> you know, like, what is he getting at here? He's not asking you to do the math. Actually, he is. It's very simple math. Not enough. Feed 4,000 people. How did that happen? Not enough. Feed 5,000 people have leftovers. How does that happen? So it's very simple math there. He says you, you had nothing. You fed all of these people. You had stuff left over. You had nothing. You fed all these people. You have stuff left over. He said, do you get it? What is he getting at? He said, look, what does that tell you about me? <laughs> what does that tell you about me? Are your eyes dim? Do you not see? Do you not understand? Do you not get it? He's saying. What would Jesus expect them to do if they did get it? Why does he even bring this up? He said if they got it, they wouldn't be fretting among themselves. Uh-oh, we in trouble. We didn't bring bread. Right? It's the simple things. It's the simple discussion, these inner thoughts that we have in our mind that show that we, when I say don't get it, think of it this way. We aren't walking in faith. It's those simple discussions that we have. We tremble. Oh, Lord, I got to go to the doctor. Are we walking in faith? Now, you say, Pastor, you got to understand, Jesus didn't promise to heal every disease. That's right. That means if he doesn't heal it, it's part of his purpose. Are you still walking by faith? In other words, he purposes you to walk this path. Are you going to walk it by faith? What is it that you don't get? That Jesus is adequate for every situation that you're going to face and the path that he set you on, trust him in it. Oh, but God, we forgot to bring the bread today. We in trouble now. We going to starve. We going to starve. We going to starve. Jesus said, do you get it? I'm right here. I'm right here. You see, they're looking at themselves and their situations, and these things were done so that they would see who? Him. For who he is. They're still searching around. We ain't brought no bread. And he's like, Look, 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 look at me. And we do that too. When we fail to walk by faith in recognition of who 
Jesus is. We lose sight of what he's done already and what he's promised to do. We lose sight. He says, don't you get it? What happens after this? Jesus heals a blind man in Bethesda. This is, to me, a funny picture. Because the whole point to me, the whole point of this is a clear perspective. A clear perspective. You know what happens. They bring this blind man to Jesus. It says in verse 22, some people brought to him a blind man, begged him to touch him. It says he took the man out, led him outside of the village, and spit on his eyes. Now that sounds kind of strange, right? And it is. And you wonder how the man took it. But I would reason to say that he was blind and he was willing to, to, to go undergo whatever it was going to take for him to have sight. In other words, it was no shame in his game, right? Lord, I'm blind. If you got to spit on me, spit on me, and I'm fine with that if, if, if this blindness is healed. Right. What's the lesson there? Embrace God's sovereignty in your life. He decides how he's going to deal with you and in what circumstances. You don't dictate to God. He dictates to you. When you recognize who Jesus is, one of the things you recognize is, Jesus, you are Lord. Practice this this week. Practice this on a daily basis. Lord, Lord, you are Lord, and I accept whatever you bring in my life and whatever path you bring me by. Think of it this way. A lot of times I wake up in my day, the same thing happened today, and I go, okay, Lord, this is what I got to do. You know, I got to get dressed. I got to take a shower. I got to shave. I got to get my clothes ready. I got to get to church on time. And I got to take care of this. I got to practice for a song. We got to do this. We got to do that. And I got to preach today. And so I'm thinking, this is it. This is my agenda. But God says, what if your phone rings? What if you get a phone call? And I, I decide to interrupt that in some way, maybe a small way, maybe a big way. Are you okay with that? I'm like, no, Lord. <laughs> this is what I'm planning to do. I ain't planning to do nothing else. This is it. I want you to say with me, as you go throughout your day, Lord, you have the right to interrupt my agenda and to present your own. Okay, would you say that tomorrow when you wake up? Will you say that as you walk through your day? Lord, I have things planned out, but you have the right to interject and to come with your own agenda. Don and I are working on our house. We're working on our kitchen. We were doing a, lot, a big part of it. And we got to this one step where we had done this one thing. And so we're like, wow. You know, we didn't decide to do this wall over here like that. But now that I see it, I think we should. And she was like, no, I don't want to do that because then you got to kind of like start over on that. And we've gone so far. And I was like, she said, why, why are you not? Basically, she said to me, why are you not fretting about doing that? No big deal. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to accomplish. And now we kind of like interrupted that agenda a little bit and interjected something else. And that's what God does in our lives sometimes. He said, you weren't planning on this today, but I'm going to bring this into your life. And I want you to count me as Lord. In other words, I got the right to do that. And when I do that, trust me in it that I know what I'm doing, even if you don't understand why I'm doing it. But trust me as Lord in your life. You say I'm Lord, now act like it. Don't you get it? So that's what I said. If the disciples had really gotten it, if they really understand, wouldn't it challenge them on some of the things and some of the way they lived and, 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 and some, like, just like saying, hey, we forgot to bring bread. Oh, we in trouble. Wouldn't, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it challenge their daily mindset? How does this challenge your daily mindset going on? Let God be Lord in your life. 
you prayed for this job, but if he says no, are you okay with that? You pray for this sickness to go away, but if he says no, are you okay with that? You pray that you win the lottery, but God said no, are you okay with that? You pray for a lot of things, but ultimately, we should pray for God's will. He is Lord. He is sovereign. So get back to the blind man. I think that man would have been plenty fine with Jesus spitting on his eyes. Old Baptist preachers, we used to say, you know, nobody, that's still today, nobody sits on the front row. Because we we have that holy spray sometimes as we preach. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And as holy as you get, you ain't really okay with that. I understand that. <laughs> but you see, that blind man was like, uh, it don't matter to me, Lord. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do is fine with me. So Jesus touches this man. I also notice in this passage that intimate touch. And Jesus is doing a lot of touching, ain't he? That's something that's foreign to our culture today, especially in our COVID environment. We say, no, no, don't hug, don't touch, stay six feet away. I I just got to say this. You, You know I can't resist this. You know, the response to the COVID to me doesn't surprise me because man will take opportunities that he has to to, to do what's on his agenda and what's on many people's agenda or many those who are in control in the government is that absolute control. I've heard people say, now that we've got the, the uh, uh, vaccination and now we got um, our numbers are going down, they say, you know, they basically saying, stay in line, keep doing what you're doing because we don't want it to get worse. Like, that ain't what y'all was saying a couple months ago. What y'all were saying before is, hey, we get this vaccination and we won't be worrying about this anymore. Now they're saying, oh, but still wear your mask and still keep six feet apart. And, and, and you know, maybe after the 4th of July, things get more back to normal. I've got a surprise for you. According to some folks, it ain't going to ever get back to normal. Because that's their way of keeping that fear in control. Look, viruses have been around ever since sin came into the world. And we've been, people have been dying from flu and all kinds of things forever. And now we get this one funny virus and people say, now, basically they say, now you got to listen to me for the rest of your life. You want to open church? Ask us first. You want to have 4th of July uh, meeting over at your house? You, oh, you better watch out. And we listen to that. In other words, they want control over our lives. And we've given them that power. And now we listen. Now they're saying, okay, things is cool. We got the vaccination. But, you know, there's these other strands of the virus that's coming up. That's what I heard just this week. Now it's other strands that you got to be fearful of. In other words, it ain't going to ever go away. And we will use this forever. Them same folks, a year ago this time, we, we decided that we would, we would stop. We had two services that halted. Them same folks would have been glad if we still were meeting together. And some try to do that under a Christian banner. Stop operating out of fear and begin to trust God in everything. See, now it's it's hard to get back. I'm sidetracked. But this man, Jesus takes this unique approach. He deals with him and he says to the man, what do you see? Or do you see anything? Verse 23. He looked up. He said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on them again. His eyes were open. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. 
<clears throat> now, I, I'm still struggling with why Jesus did things that way. I'm not sure. I can't give you a definitive answer. But, but I think in some ways that Jesus wants to show that we don't always see clearly. And we definitely don't see him clearly. And we need desperately to see Jesus clearly. We need to see God's way and God's path clearly. Even, even after we're saved, we, we, we're not seeing everything. We don't have all wisdom. God says, let me lead you step by step, day by day. So depend on me, not your own wisdom or insight. In other words, walk with me. Walk by faith. Keep walking in obedience to me. Right after this, we have this encounter with Jesus. And he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some think you're John the Baptist. Some think you're Elijah, one of the prophets. And he asked them directly, but who do you say that I am? It's amazing the opinions on Jesus at that time. They, they had great opinion of him. In other words, they thought, most thought highly of him. He, if you if you compare him with John the Baptist, that, that's a pretty good uh, group to be in, right? John the Baptist was a powerful man of God. He says maybe he's Elijah or one of the prophets. Look, he, he, is, uh, uh, he is thought well of, but that's not enough. It's not good enough to think highly of Jesus. Many religions today think well of Jesus or think highly of him, but they miss the mark. Jesus says to the disciples, is, is, is that all? Is that as far as you're going to go, comparing me to John the Baptist, comparing me to one of the great prophets of old? Is that it? Because if you stop there, you miss entirely who I am. In other words, you ain't got a clue. You ain't got a clue. You have an outward respect for me, but you really don't know who I am. So Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? You notice what Peter says. Lord, you are the Christ. You are it. Peter is saying, I get it. I get it. And then in the next section, we see that he still struggles. Even though he gets it, he knows who Jesus is. So the problem with Peter is he gets it. He understands who Jesus is, but he misunderstands Jesus' mission. Peter is in that group who thinks that Jesus as the Messiah, he's going to come and rescue us from the Roman control that has exerted itself. He's going to free us from this bond or this slavery, if you will, and we're going to be that great and mighty nation. And he's going to do that right now. Now, what's wrong with Peter's thinking? It's true. The Christ was going to free them from all government control, any other power that oppressed them. He was going to free them of that. Problem is his timing. His timing. Jesus, in fact, was to be the great leader. We would say he's the lion. The leader, the great king that his people were waiting for. But before he began to do that, he was going to be the lamb of God, the one who was sacrificed because he was going to deal with the people's greatest problem. Their greatest problem wasn't the government over them. Their greatest problem wasn't those who had power over them. Their greatest problem was their own sinfulness and that which was inside of them. Remember, Jesus was asked the question, how come your disciples ain't washing their hands? He said, your biggest problem ain't a virus. Your biggest problem is not that which affects you physically. Your biggest problem is the spiritual thing that's happening with you. It's your separation from God and your isolation from him. 
And Jesus came to deal with that problem first. He came to be the Lamb of God to save his people from sin. And then he's coming as a lion that's going to restructure all government and all authority and usher in his kingdom. Peter saw the last, but he didn't see the first. So Peter confesses Jesus as Christ. It says in verse 29, who do you say to them? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Notice what happens right after that. Verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must do what? Now, that's not what Peter would have been thinking. Peter would have been thinking, you're the Christ. The Son of Man is coming to rule and to reign. He's going to set some folks in their place, and he's going to put us in our place. That's what Peter was thinking, and Peter wouldn't have been wrong with that idea, except, as I said before, the timing. Jesus is, in fact, coming to rule and to reign. In fact, we'll see that in the very next section of verses that we're going to get to. Jesus says this in verse 31, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. So let, let me skip on to uh, uh, um, verse 32. And he said this plainly. Plainly. In other words, he began to teach his disciples very clearly and very plainly what was going to happen. He was going to suffer. He was going to be persecuted by the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, and he was going to be killed. And notice what else he says. What else does he say? Rise again. After three days, rise again. Now, when I read the Gospels, it, it appears to me that when Jesus said that, they didn't get it. Because when it happened, they weren't expecting it to happen. It's like something he said clearly, but it just right, went right over their heads. Right? Jesus is plainly teaching clearly what's going to happen, and his disciples don't get it. Why? Because they have something else in their mind on their agenda of what God is going to do instead of God's agenda. So we need to really search. We really need to pray, Lord, what's your plan? What's your agenda? What's your plan and agenda for my life? What's your plan and agenda for my family? What's your plan and agenda for my children? What's your plan and agenda for, my, for your people, your, your church here, this local church? We love to see the growth and the promotion. That's what Peter was looking for, Christ. Lord, you know, you got a lot of people respecting you now. They see all this great stuff you're doing, and we just want to keep rising right along with you. And Jesus says, not so fast, Peter. Not so fast, because you know what's going to happen to me? They're going to reject me, and they're going to kill me. But I'm going to rise again. You know, all Peter here was rejection and killing. That's what registered in his mind. And he took Jesus aside and he began to rebuke Jesus like, no, 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 that ain't what's going to happen. That, that ain't the plan. And Jesus says, uh 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 get behind me, Satan. He said, look, you are thinking like man thinks, like mere human beings. You are not in tune with God's plan. Get in tune with it. I'm speaking you. Speaking to you what God's plan is. Don't reject it, Peter. And he had, a, he had a strong scolding for Peter. It's amazing. Peter got it. You are the Christ. And yet he tried to interpret that in his own agenda. You remember what happened when the uh, soldiers came to arrest Jesus? It was Peter who wanted to pull the sword out. And he didn't just pull it out for show. <laughs> he went swinging. 
And he wasn't swinging for show either. You know, you remember, I remember when we was kids, people were about to get in a fight, and they start dancing around, and they, they want to impress you with, like, how, how good they are, you know, trying to do all the show. And, like, I would look at them like, dude, really? You know, that don't impress me. We finna fight, I'm finna throw you down. So, you know, Peter didn't pull it out for the show. He was actually going to use it, and he went to cut dude's head off. That's what he went to do. He nipped his ear off. The point is, Peter thought that he was fighting for the good and the right cause. What did Jesus tell him? He said, Peter, that ain't the way we're going to do this. Put your sword away. I can give you another message. This is another message for another time. Remind me to give it to you. He didn't say, Peter, what in the world are you doing with a sword? He didn't say that. That's, that's what I call my concealed carry lesson for y'all a little later on, all right? We'll get into that later. What he said to Peter is, that's not the way I'm going to handle this situation right now. That's what he said. That's not the way I'm going to handle this. He said, because if I wanted to, I could have I called down 12 legions of angels. That Look, look, that's like 72,000. You know, he only needed one. He said, if I wanted to change this, I could change it. But I don't. I don't want to. I'm not going to do that. You, you got to get in tune with my plan. That's what he's saying. Be in tune with my plan. You think it's going to go one way. God has another thing going. He's still in control. He's still doing it. Submit to his plan. And so Jesus scolds Peter, and then he brings this message. Verse 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. He says to them, to those who he's gathered around, I want you to understand something. If you're going to follow me, follow me. In other words, follow the model and example that I've set and that I'm setting before you. What model and example is that? It's God's plan. It's submission to God's plan. It's awareness of God's plan. And that plan is surprising. It's different than what many might think it to be. You're going to follow Jesus... He says, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to rise again the third day. Now, isn't that the path that he set for us? He says, look, when you obey me, guess what? All your friends ain't going to all of a sudden love you, and you be the most popular person in, the whole, in your whole social realm. No. A lot of times it's going to be totally opposite from that. You're going to be rejected. You say, that don't make sense. Why would they reject me for giving a message of hope, for giving a message, the only message of deliverance? He said, that's what they did to me. They're going to reject. You're going to suffer for my name. And you're even going to be put to death in some cases. He said, this Christian walk ain't an easy walk. It's a glorious walk. And it's worth it because he says, you're going to rise again as I rose again. That's the path that I have for you. But recognize the path and submit yourself to it. He says, deny yourself. If you try to gain your life, pull your life to, to run by your own agenda, you're going to lose it because you're not going to be in touch with mine. But you're going to submit to my agenda. You're going to give up your life. You're going to surrender it under my agenda. You're going to walk in my path. You understand, don't you, brother? Amen.
You're going to walk in my path. You're going to go by my direction. You're going to follow me. You're going to submit yourself to me. In essence, you are going to lose your life because it's no longer your life, but God's living. You're following him so intently that it's his life that he has for you that you're now living instead of your own. Since as you do that, you lose it, but you're going to gain it. And he says, listen, when it's all said and done, when it's all summed up, when it's over, you will have no regrets. He says, because what can a person give in exchange for his own soul? You see, the world would spur us and, and motivate us by no pain, no suffering, no hardship. But Jesus says, you're going to have some pain, some suffering, some hardship. But in the end, you're going to have glory. You're going to have glory. Don't look at the short side of it. Look at the long term. Jesus encourages, what does it mean to follow me? Get off of your agenda and embrace God's agenda for you. You know, you say, I don't know what that is. You know what I say? Amen. You don't. He's going to show you step by step. He's going to lay it all out for you. He didn't lay it all out for Peter. Peter didn't know all that he would encounter. He was learning as he, as he practiced. Embrace God's sovereignty. Embrace God's agenda. Embrace God's purpose that he has for you in your life. And do it a, ta- a day at a time. A moment at a time. Do you get it? Do you get it? Jesus is showing who he is. And he says, if you understand me, then you won't be ashamed to identify with me, even though it's different than what you might have thought. He says, those, anybody who's ashamed of me now, I'm going to deny them. I'm going to say, I never knew you. I got nothing to do with you. When, notice what he said. I got I to read that verse. He says, verse 38, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed, here he is, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I love this, this whole chapter because we see it speaks of the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the coming of Jesus. He's saying, look, if you're ashamed of me now, when I'm rejected by other people, when people don't speak highly of me, and that's the sinful generation that we live in right now. When you you are afraid to be identified with me now, he says, I am coming. And I am coming in power and glory and great authority. I'm coming with, with all my boys with me. I'm coming with all the holy angels, and I'm coming to take over my rightful place. I'm going to truly rule and reign. And if you've been ashamed of the lamb because he suffered, you have no part with the lion when he reigns. He says, line up with me. Follow me. Submit to me and submit to my plan. Father, we thank you for your word to say. We pray, Lord, that you would just impact our hearts with your word. There's so many areas in our life that you address today, and each one you're asking us, do we get it? Do we live like we understand who Jesus is? Do we live like we understand the truth of him? If his miracles that he's done showed to us who he is, we would recognize that he's the only one who was who gave his life for our sin and who was raised again on the third day. And if all that happened, as you said it happened, and indeed history shows that it happened, he in fact is coming back again, just like he said. And so, Lord, help us to walk in your agenda and according to your plan. Help us to give up our own agenda. Each day we have a plan. We think certain things should happen or we want them to happen. We'd be happy if they happened, but Lord, 
Help us to each day say, Lord, whatever your will is, I trust you in it, and I submit myself to you in it. I trust in the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is indeed the Christ, who indeed is the Lion who is coming to rule and to reign. I believe what you say. I trust in you. I surrender my life to you. Lord, I pray that those who hear your word today will submit themselves to you and those who are listening might come under that conviction and the Holy Spirit can continue to drive those points home until indeed they get it. In Jesus' name we pray.